Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. Listen, you hear that? That's the sound of nothing. And nothing is what you'll pay for medium fries when you buy any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich. It's crispy, juicy, tender, all-white meat chicken with crinkle-cut pickles on a buttery potato bun. Mmm. Buy one, and we'll hook you up with a free medium fries. That's like zero zilch zip. So try any Mickey D's new crispy chicken sandwich and get a medium fries for nothing. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of March 1st, 2021, as we kick off our 2021 season position previews. For the upcoming weeks, we'll be taking a deep dive look at the Chicago White Sox options at each of the position groups. This week, we'll be breaking down the starting pitching staff led by a strong trio of Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, and Dallas Keuchel. But there are some questions about the back half of the rotation. We'll discuss those questions and ponder as far as some possible solutions Also make some early guesses as we had our show polls asking our listeners who they thought would lead the White Sox in strikeouts, innings pitched, and some over-under action. We'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox at the end of the show, but we start this episode quickly recapping the Chicago White Sox first spring training game. And joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. And the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Weather is warming up in Chicago. We're getting into the low 50s. The snow is melting. And we finally have baseball games being played. Yeah, it was uh, 74, 75 degrees in Nashville with 80% humidity. Storms coming in. And uh, it hadn't been that weather all year. And it was just a fitting day to do it because... uh, Went out around noon wearing shorts and realized that in two hours I'll be watching baseball, and that was great. It was, and it was just fun not only to watch the the White Sox play uh, the first time that we saw them with the the heartbreaking loss in Oakland that ended their postseason, 
but just to see action across the all of the leagues. And you got some color-on-color color action <laughs> where you have two teams both wearing red. Uh, clearly didn't discuss prior to the game who <laughs> would be wearing white and who would be re- wearing red, so that was a little bit odd. Uh, yeah, I saw that with the rundown. Yeah, and uh, a little odd to see Nolan Arenado not in a Colorado Rockies uniform. Uh, great moment with the Baltimore Orioles with uh, Trey Mancini. Uh, his first appearance back in action after uh, his spout with colon cancer, which he was stage three and he was able to be, survive that and be cancer-free. That in itself is an incredible accomplishment and in his first at bat he singles right up the middle like he hasn't missed a beat uh, from his phenomenal 2019 season that he had so great moments and for the White Sox offensively there was a lot of action in the, the first inning and then not much after that but it's okay it's the first spring train training game of the year uh, you're giving guys that probably are long shots of trying to make the roster especially in the pitching side get the first crack at it. But after watching the game, Jim, what jumped out at you uh, as far as the first spring training game being completed? Well, you mentioned Trey Mancini, and I think the White Sox equivalent of Trey Mancini coming back for Baltimore is Jake Berger taking at-bats for the White Sox in their lineup. In his first at-bat, he hit a fly ball down the right field line. I didn't really watch where the ball went. I just watched him running down the line because the last time we saw him in Arizona doing that, he had he crumpled in a heap before he even got to the bag, like the throw got to the bag. You couldn't see Berger. The camera had to find him. It was on the web stream. Uh, the camera had to find him like halfway down the line in a heap. And it was just, uh, you know, it was a terrible sight. And then he had the ruptured Achilles after that, re-ruptured it. And, you know, it's been a long road back for him. To, so to see him, you know, hit a fly ball on the right field line, hit a uh, fly out to center, um, you know, just moving okay in the field, uh, playing a full game at third base, great to see. It was great to see. For me, Going back to that first inning, it's like Tim Anderson in midseason form, single to right field. Good to see. Yoan Mikata, so kind of not on the same line as Jake Berger because obviously Jake Berger's injury was very severe. But Mankata during the spring training, we talked about this in the last episode. When watching spring training, can Mankata bounce back health-wise? And the fact that he felt strong enough to steal second base... I think that's a good sign, Jim. It's a good early sign uh, that Mankata's legs uh, seem fresh enough to be able to do that, where last year he wasn't really interested, of course, because he may he might have tapped out of, as far as his energy if he tried to steal bases uh, when he did get on base. And uh, Adam Engel's home run, that was a nice swing from him uh, mm-hmm. and a good way to start off uh, his spring training. But yeah, I think the biggest moment I agree with you is definitely getting Jake Berger back in action. It's just good to see again. I don't know what his long-term future is going to be with the Chicago white Sox. Maybe his long-term professional baseball future isn't with the Chicago white Sox for a long time. Uh, he might get moved because they have some depth at third base and first base as far as the corners. But the fact that he's worked so hard to get where he's at now uh, he's lost 40 pounds since the White Sox have drafted him. He looks terrific. And, uh, yeah, I hope that he does get some success. He's one that I'm going to be rooting for in spring training. The stats really don't mean anything. But it would be nice to see if Jake Berger can run into one and hit his first home run uh, in a in a few years uh, in a White Sox uniform and see if that gives him the confidence that he could go tear it up wherever he starts as far as the minor leagues. 
Yeah, it was funny. Uh, I think it was Chuck Garfine. Somebody tweeted about how Berger said that he needed to update his photo that's on the scoreboard. And uh, somebody shared the photo. I want to say it was Garfine. Shared the photo of it, and that was 40 pounds ago. And you could just see it, like, in his face. And just, yeah, he's he's lost. I mean, he's still a big, you know, he's got a big frame. So he doesn't look, like, small or, you know, maybe svelte or anything like that. But compared to what he was, yeah, he, he's come a long way body-wise. And uh, to go back to Moncada, um that, that did seem like a statement stolen base, whether it was successful or not. Uh, almost like, yeah, I'm back. You know, just, you know, maybe he's, uh, it's, it's a way to tell fans and people watching, maybe even himself, uh, that's part of his game. Because he went from attempting 18 steals in 2018, 13 steals in 2019. So stole 12 bags the first year, uh, 10 bags second year. Last year, no stolen base attempts. And right. yeah, that was mainly just... Uh, you know, he might have been able to the first couple weeks, but then, you know, once the grind of the season set in, I think he just got bogged down and uh, was just trying to conserve his energy. So to see a stolen base on a lefty uh, first chance he got, it, it did seem like a statement. It did. And the Chicago White Sox spring training schedule, they'll be playing the Angels on Monday, March 1st, and then the Texas Rangers. The Texas Rangers will be back on television and radio. You'll need the MLB.TV spring training package to watch the contest against the Angels as that's at their facility. Uh, no stream options for uh, Wednesday or Thursday, those games against the Royals and the Giants. Uh, those are, again, road games for the White Sox. They'll be coming back to Glendale on March 5th to face the Seattle Mariners. There will be a web stream for that one. On the 6th against Cleveland, uh, no stream available. And then on the 7th, which is next Sunday against Colorado, they'll be back in Glendale and there will be a web stream and a radio broadcast on ESPN 1000 in Chicago. So that's your upcoming spring training schedule. And on next week's podcast, we'll have a lot more games to recap again. It's just spring training. The games don't mean much, but there is some competition battles going on. And uh, we'll break down as far as how those are going. But in the first week mm-hmm. of spring training, everyone's trying to get their feet underneath them, breaking off the rust, get back into rhythm. It's just good to see everyone back in action. And hopefully we'll get an opportunity uh, to see more of the starters that we expect uh, later in this week. Jose Breu had a late start to spring training because of a positive COVID test. It'd be nice to see more of those guys get in action, but that'll be more important as they really ramp up for opening day later in this month of March. Yeah, although with Abreu, we did get to see Andrew Vaughn you know, have basically three good bats, two walks. <laughs> it's nice to see a, a White Sox hitter take a pitch uh, and not even think about swinging, so that, that was great to see. Um, yeah, for anybody who's interested in trying to find when the White Sox are viewable and where I did compile a schedule of all the spring training broadcasts, web stream TV and an MLB TV. And looking at uh, other teams like the Royals and Giants, for instance, like, you know, they, they said webcast. So I went to see where the webcasts are and web, their webcasts are audio only. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of what people on, uh, watching the White Sox want think that, you know, NBC sports Chicago should carry every game. And, you know, I, I agree with that. I would love to see that. But when you see what other teams are offering during spring training, uh, be thankful for the webcasts because you could do a lot worse. <laughs> That's true. Some teams are not trying, which is yes. very odd in today's world of technology. But I get it. Sometimes it is difficult to get a production crew together uh, during these COVID times. But that's where we are as far as spring training. Again, we'll have more action next week on the podcast when we have a full week slate of games 
to discuss. But on this podcast, again, we're going to be starting our position previews. And the first position group we will be previewing is the White Sox starting pitching staff. Looking back in the 2020 starting pitching ranks for the Chicago White Sox, and if you look at war for the entire starting rotation as far as all the pitchers that made starts for the White Sox in 2020, on Fangraphs.com, the White Sox ranked 17th. In ERA, the staff had a 3.85 ERA. That was top 10. They ranked 8th. However, in FIP, they ranked 18th. Uh, as far as strikeouts per nine innings, the staff, the starting staff, ranked 16th in baseball. Walks per nine innings, they were in the bottom five. They ranked 26th. But in home runs per nine, especially playing guaranteed rate field, and in late July, August, and September, when the ball could still fly out of the ballpark, especially during warm weather, the White Sox ranked 14th. They did a good job of limiting home runs. The starting staff did. And when it comes to leaving runners on base, they ranked in the top 10 again. They ranked 7th. The White Sox starting staff in 2020 was about 76% leaving runners on base. So that really helped out as far as their ERA. But overall, when you look at the 2020 Chicago White Sox starting rotation, they ranked in the middle of the pack in all of Major League Baseball. And Lucas Giolito and Dallas Keuchel did a lot of heavy lifting in order for that ranking uh, for the total ranking to be in the middle of the pack. Now enter Lance Lynn via trade and new pitching coach Ethan Katz replacing Don Cooper. And Lynn, of course, is the, the hope is that he'll bolster the unit and Katz will help as far as make improvements for some of the pitchers. So the White Sox can go from middle of the pack to hopefully being a top 10 unit this upcoming season. And Jim, let's start the discussion there, looking at the unit as a whole as we inch closer to 2021 season starting again it's going to be starting in a month on april 1st in anaheim as the white Sox travel to face the angels we've spent a lot of time talking about the depth concerns but when you look at the white Sox current rotation and say compare it to the rest of the division the american league or even all of major league baseball how do you think this unit stacks up I think the Lance Lynn addition is huge. Just uh, you know, another way to look at it when you, you mentioned the Fangraphs uh, depth chart and you know, the one rating I system I looked at is Bill James, the handbook, and, and also his website. He has a starting pitching ranking that he kind of you know, he has this formula that he uses to rate starting pitchers by game scores, and it's very much kind of like a golfer ranking or tennis player ranking. It's like it's cumulative, and it's hard to knock a guy out of the top spot, like one or two bad starts is going to do a lot of damage to the rankings. But over the course of time, you can just see an ebb and flow of like basically pitchers uh, reputations and, and, and who's basically the best starting pitcher or who's top 20 uh, you know, of the last year. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting in that regard. And looking at the White Sox, you know, Lucas Giolito is ninth, which I think is fair. I think if people would say he's top 10 starter, Dallas Keuchel 31. Uh, and, and, you know, for just those two, and then you have like Dylan Cease. I, I didn't, I stopped counting to find him because the middle of uh, the middle tier of the rankings are just kind of a mess of a lot of guys with you know, barely different scores. It's really like the top 50 or so. That's that's interesting to see how those change. Um, you know, th- that would be really troubling if it were just Giolito and Keiko and then just a mess behind. But having Lynn come in, he's number 12. So all of a sudden, you know, you have a, a rotation ninth best pitcher, 12th best pitcher, 31st. Like, that's good. Like, that's uh, nothing wrong with that. And if Dylan Cease can improve to be, 
you know, even league average, then, you know, you have basically a top flight rotation, uh, no matter what happens with the fifth spot, as long as it's not, uh, as long as you have guys to throw in there, uh, and it's not just a, a two inning emergency every time out, then they should be okay. So assuming, you know, decent health for all three of those pitchers, I think they did, uh, Rick Hahn did a good enough job of getting a postseason grade rotation set up. Yeah, and when you look at the American League, again, I think this is going to be one of the common themes when you talk about the American League as a whole. In the American League, are there enough teams that feel confident that they have three starters they can count on in their rotation? Not five guys, three. And it's going to be a hodgepodge of a combination of hoping that injured pitchers bounce back. Like the Yankees signing Corey Kluber. They're paying him a lot of money, hoping that he bounces back from a shoulder injury. Other teams are going to be giving, just like the White Sox, young guys an opportunity to prove themselves in the back end of the rotation and still looking to compete. It's not like in the National League. When you look at the Dodgers and you look at the Padres and you look at the Mets, even you know with the Nationals, with Strasburg coming back and Max Scherzer, that's a great one-two duo that they've got and of course Atlanta they have all those young arms as well in the National League those contenders they go three they go four deep whereas the White Sox in the American League having Giolito, Lynn and Keuchel I'm with you Jim that will go a long way in the American League especially when you look at the Yankees Garrett Cole's the only guy I can count on in their starting rotation as far as their probable starting rotation Uh, Tampa Bay they don't like the starting rotation format. Uh, they use this hybrid, and I'm expecting them to continue to do so uh, for this upcoming season. And the Toronto Blue Jays, they got Hinjin Ryu, and they like Nate Pearson, and then they're going to try with a bunch of other mid-tier guys to see if that's enough depth depth for them to compete in the American League East or for the wild card. So I think this is just going to be a, a running theme all season. From now, especially into July towards the, the trade deadline, Jim, mm-hmm. of how confident are the American League contenders are in their starting rotation, and the GMs are going to be asking themselves, do we have enough depth? Depth? Do I need to go get another guy? Are we going to be paying attention to the teams that are tanking and looking at their top-end starters and try to make a deal? I think this is going to be a running theme, and right now for the White Sox, when you look at just Giolito, Lynn, and Keuchel, as a fan – you got to feel pretty confident. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you know, health is always the big thing, especially with, uh, and we'll talk about it as we go guy to guy. But, you know, uh, as I like to say, um, you know, no team's problems are unique. Yeah, maybe the White Sox have had one weird one here and there that no team has uh, duplicated. But by and large, you know, pitching, uh, bullpen, manager complaints, uh, base, you know, every, every, every flaw you focus on, a lot of teams will complain about hitting with runners in scoring position. Most you know fans will complain about that, and, and the the problems go on. I think just the issue when it pops up, if it pops up, is did the White Sox do enough for the fifth spot or the fourth and fifth spot? If you don't trust Dylan Cease, or just want some insurance for if something happens to the top three guys, just somebody you can help turn a calendar day over in the rotation. I think that's uh, really where the, the the big issue is with this. Group of five, the top three, I think Rick Hahn did enough. All right, so let's take a look pitcher by pitcher as far as the preview 
We're going to look at their 2021 Zips projection. We're going to ask the question, what is one thing to pay attention to early in 2021 for this starting pitcher? What is the biggest concern we have for a particular starting pitcher for this upcoming season? And what does a successful season look like for each of these starting pitchers that we are projecting to be in the rotation to start the 2021 season? And no better place to start than the staff ace for the Chicago White Sox, and that's Lucas Giolito. And his 2021 Zips projections, again, we've had Dan Zaborski on a previous podcast discussing this, and it is eye-opening. Lucas Giolito has the highest war projection coming into the 2021 season. So Zips believes Lucas Giolito will be the best starting pitcher in all of Major League Baseball in 2021. The projection for his ERA is 3, his war is 5.8, His projected strikeout total for the season is 248, which is a pretty big jump for him. His strikeout per nine, 12.4, and his walk per nine is 2.8. And those are pretty important because depending on how many innings that he pitches and if he can keep up with those rate stats, will give us a pretty good idea of where Giolito will end for his season totals when it comes to strikeouts and walks allowed. Again, Lucas is projected to be the best starting pitcher in all of baseball in 2021. Jim, those are pretty lofty expectations. But when it comes to Giolito and the progress that he's made and the flashes that he showed last year, I think these lofty expectations are attainable if Giolito continues to progress as he has the last two seasons. Yeah, he's interesting just because, you know, he he's great. <laughs> he's a... Uh... Yeah, there are no complaints about what he is, and he does not have to improve. Like, there's no reason to uh, need him to improve or, you know, expect him to improve just based on, you know, how good he already is. But when you consider that he does basically all his heavy lifting with a fastball and changeup, and that his breaking balls, you know, occasionally his slider is a is a weapon, and he's able to, uh, you know, lean on it heavily. But for the most part, he's basically a fastball changeup, and then, like, second, third time through, he starts mixing in the slider more. Um, that's, I think what gives him another way to get better. Now, this may just be another way to, um, yeah. And just might be like his changeup usage to where, um, you know, he's mostly great, but occasionally he'll, you know, give up a couple of homers based on bad location. And it really doesn't matter. He still ends up with like an ERA in the low threes and strikeout total over 200 anyway. And it's just a different way to get to the same destination. But you only figure that his fastball changeup combination is already really working for him to throw in a another pitch that's maybe plus uh, and he's trying to work on the slider and curveball and or curveball to be plus pitches um you know that theoretically is one more than he had before so he might be able to shave another 10th or two off his era and and climb the Cy Young stand uh Cy Young finish uh the voting results so yeah there's a way for him to get better which I think is uh maybe the most remarkable thing of all and- the following question for Giolito and for all these starting pitchers, again, what is one thing to pay attention to early in 2021? And Jim, for me, for Lucas Giolito, it is that breaking pitch. It is something that he's working on right now with Ethan Katz during spring training. We may get a glimpse of it during spring training. Keep in mind, breaking pitches don't do well in Arizona. Uh, so this has always been an issue as far as trying to gauge and how well a breaking pitch is doing. It may not look good, 
just because of the Arizona air is impacting as far as the amount of break and spin uh, Giolito is trying to obtain uh, from throwing these uh, new breaking pitches that he's developing with Ethan Katz, the new pitching coach for the Chicago White Sox. But for me, early in the 2021 season, when watching Lucas Giolito, is can he establish that third pitch? Because I'm with you, Jim. I think teams now preparing for Lucas Giolito understand what the game plan is. They're going to be looking for fastball changeup. They just might sit back and wait for the changeup and Teams haven't been all that successful against Giolito the last two seasons trying to do that because then he'll just throw more fastballs and you're going to be late on those pitches. But if Giolito can establish a third pitch and he's keeping hitters you know, on their toes and making their knees buckle with some type of slider or some type of 12-6 curve that tunnels well uh, with this fastball that likes to stay up in the zone... Uh, then he could be really dangerous and really establish as far as his candidacy to win a Cy Young in the American League in 2021. What is one thing that you are going to be paying attention to when you're watching Giolito early in 2021? Well, I, I had breaking balls on my list, and uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's hard to tell with the season and limited schedule he had last year facing only central teams, and I think that's going to be a running theme for a lot of guys on the White Sox and also, you know, maybe in throughout the other central teams or maybe even the other divisions, perhaps if certain strength of schedule stuff or the strength of certain teams allowed some pitchers or hitters to look worse than they are or, and, you know, or vice versa. So, uh, you know, there, there's a matter of his changeups and maybe he's too changeup reliant, but then when you see him throw eight changeups in a row <laughs> and get away with it, because James McCann was bored and just seeing how many, uh, yeah, how few fastballs get called. Uh, you know, maybe the changeup is just that good, and it doesn't matter. Maybe he's like, you know, Mariano Rivera with his cutter, just, you know, it's coming, and it's still really hard to hit. So, yeah, I guess my concern is not so much that, just more a matter of, you know, whether he can get better, not if he's going to get worse. Uh, when it comes to, yeah, so instead of, like, duplicating your answer, I'll say, like, the other one I'm looking at is just Yasmani Grandal, and I don't have any specific concerns over Grandal catching him over James McCann. I think you know, McCann and Giolito had a great relationship, but I think Grandal and you know, you know, Grandal's a uh, a great receiver and, and and thinks through the game as much as anybody. So I don't think he'll be worse at handling him. It's not like going from McCann to to Zach Collins. You know, Grandal will be fine, but just more of a matter of if you know Grandal and and Giolito that pairing has like a rough start to open the season or a couple in a row that aren't scintillating, you know, is that going to be the case where all of a sudden people start fretting and, and worrying like, does Jonathan Lucroy need to come up and do they need to find somebody else to catch him? Uh, I will not be indulging that storyline just because sample sizes and whatnot. And also just, I think it's very important for Grandal and Giolito to get on the same page anyway, because when postseason time comes around, you're going to want Grandal behind the plate and every bat in the lineup. So you don't want to have, whatever catcher having to start a Giolito game. So you have to, even if there are some growing pains together, you have to uh, grin and bear it. But I'm hoping, you know, fingers crossed that Giolito will look like himself. Any stumbles will come later in the year. Just scatter them a bit later so people get comfortable with the idea of Grandal catching him. And it's more or less fine. What is your biggest concern when it comes to Lucas Giolito Entering the 2021 season. And and I ask this because when it comes to Lucas Giolito, I think it's a very minor concern. I had a, I had a tough time trying to find an answer 
for this particular question for Lucas Giolito. But when it comes to Giolito, what would you say is the biggest concern that you have for him going into the 2021 season? It's a bit of a cop-out, but health. And specifically to Giolito, he just has a tendency to have like one or two minor injuries like a um, you know, like a groin or a, a chest muscle or you know something that's non-critical to the operation of maintaining a healthy throwing arm. But just they, they popped up here and there and have cost him a start or two. And just uh, that's really the only flag. It's not even like a red flag, just maybe a yellow flag. Just something to keep in mind and, and hope that if it does pop up, that it's well-timed and not... Uh, not corresponding with another injury and forcing a rotation crisis. Just, you know, if he has to miss a start, if he has to miss 20 to 30 innings that he thinks it through about when's a good time to do it. Yeah. The only one I could think of was his left on base percentage. He was at 70%. And again, for the white Sox starting pitching staff, they were at 76%. So he was kind of dragging that number down in 2019. He was at 77.7%. Again, this is really minor, but that is something I'm going to be paying attention to is can Lucas Giolito increase as far as the runners that do find a way to get on base. Uh, They are left on base and they do not score to see if he can boost that from 70% to in the higher seventies or maybe even up to 80%. But again, that is nitpicky uh, when you're Lucas Giolito and throwing as well as he has the last two seasons, it's hard to find something that would be a red flag, huge concern that everybody has to be worried about, but there's nothing to really worry about for Lucas Giolito going into the 2021 season. So the final question for Giolito's preview is what does a successful season look like for Lucas Giolito in 2021, Jim? I would say uh, by his standards and by being the ace of the White Sox rotation, I would say another fine finish in Cy Young results. Yeah, I think he, I think top three, I think this is the year that he's going to break in and in the top three and be a Cy Young finalist. Uh, it'd be great if he could win the Scion, and I'm not ready to go way out there uh, and say, oh, yeah, he's going to be the favorite to win the Scion. Uh, but when you got the Zips projection saying that he's going to be the best pitcher coming into the season, uh, that's 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 pretty lofty. Uh, again, uh, he does have lofty projections, but I think for me, 200 innings. I, I know that we have talked about innings, and I think – Innings pitched is going to be an important stat this year. I know it's a counting stat. However, we're coming off a pandemic. We only played 60 games. Our Major League Baseball only played 60 games last year. And now you're asking all of these pitchers to ramp up back to 162-game workload. I'd like to see Giolito if he can get to 200 innings, because if he can, that means that he's healthy, he's making 30-plus starts, He's going deep into those starts, and he's someone that the White Sox could definitely count on every fifth day. That's that's what I'm going to look for for Lucas Giolito to see if he can obtain that 200-inning mark past that threshold. Because if he can, then I think, yeah, with the way that the quality of pitching that he's been doing, he's definitely going to be a Cy Young finalist in the American League. So that's Lucas Giolito. Let's move over to the new guy, Lance Lynn. And Lance Lynn's 2021 Zips projections are a 3.97 ERA, a 2.8 war, 
182 strikeouts with the rate stats being 9.91 strikeouts per nine innings. So close to 10 strikeouts per nine innings, uh, which is a good rate. And his walk rate at 3.05. Now, the war number does seem a bit low when you could look at his 2019 season when he had a 6.7 war season. However, consider the fact that from 2012 to 2018, Lynn was a two to three war pitcher. So 2.8 uh, is right there as far as, you know, fitting that range. And then his 6.7 war season is being acted as more of an outlier uh, when you're looking at his zips projections. But I do have to ask Jim, as Lynn turns 34 this upcoming season, many of the projection models do see Lynn taking a slight step back in his 2021 production that we've seen what he did with the Texas Rangers in 2019 and 2020. And I think those projection systems are accounting for the aging curve. Let's say Lynn does have that season, which he has an ERA slightly below four. He's worth 2.8 war. Uh, He's close to 200 innings. He's close to 200 strikeouts. Is that a good enough performance as in a return from the trade when the White Sox sent the Texas Rangers Dane Dunning? I think it is. Um, yeah, obviously a lot of the satisfaction will come with the record that he has in his starts. Uh, you know, whether he wins 20 games or the White Sox win 20 games in his start, like it doesn't really matter who gets assigned the win, but just how well the team does when he's on the mound, I think will go a long way in how much satisfaction we derive from the lens hunting. Cause he's really about innings. Like Giolito, as we talked about, has a tendency to stall out around 180. Dallas Keuchel's had some health issues. You don't know what you're going to get from Dylan Cease. You know, Rodon and Lopez both had issues last year staying on the mound. So for Lynn, you're really just looking for that durability, that workhorseness. And I think uh, if he provides 200 innings or close to, you know, as you mentioned with the um, going from 60 games to 162, there could be a lot of unusual uh, workload management techniques used by managers to get through the season, you know, uh, for that kind of like, workload or however Tony LaRusa manages it, maybe 190 innings is good enough based on how the rest of the league is doing. But basically that idea that he's there to provide innings, provide starts, work deep in the game, save the bullpen. And, you know, assuming the ERA is decent, um, you know, and by decent, I mean like 3.5 to four, you know, above league average, I think it'll be good enough. I think, you know, maybe the, the bigger sting will be having, you know, what happens after this year, whether he's extended, whether he's left a free agency, and, and how they fill that rotation or what they have to do to fill that rotation spot afterward. What is one thing to pay attention to early in 2021 for Lance Lynn? Well, uh, you know, last year when looking at his numbers, like his home run rate jumped, uh, his home run uh, percentage from fly balls jumped from uh, – uh, 9.9% to 13.8% uh, went from, um, you know, 0.9 homers per nine innings to 1.4. So that's something for moving to a, a ballpark that you know, is conducive to left-handed power. That's something that, you know, maybe clusters up on a Murley, puts a scare into people, and, and you might have to figure out a way to work around it. Um, that's, I think, uh, something that's going to be, he's a unique pitcher in how he goes about his business, how fastball reliant he is. Like I liken him to Bartolo Colon in terms of just somebody who can manipulate a fastball, sink it, run it, cut it, uh, you know, go high with it. He can do all sorts of things with it. And I think that it makes it easy to worry about a guy when he has a couple bad starts where he gives up two or three homers in a night and uh, falls behind early. And you think, does he still have it? But 
I think ultimately over the long run, he'll be fine this year. It's just more of a matter of if the home run issue follows him to Chicago, it could put a scare in people early if, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a rough April in that regard. I'm going to use walk rate. His last two seasons, he's had really good walk rates uh, below seven and a half percent. That's really good. But in 2017 and 2018, Lynn had a 10 plus percentage walk rate. So walking, every, you know, all the collection of batters, all the batters that he faces, walking 10% or more in those two seasons. Uh, again, the White Sox starting pitching staff in 2020 were in the bottom five when it comes to walk rates. So if Lynn can avoid regression to his previous walk rate totals in 2017 and 2018, and if he can continue to what he has done in 2019 and 2020, then he and the White Sox should be in good shape. And Lynn's really going to help out reduce the amount of total walks the starting pitching staff allows as a unit. Uh, If he can come in and he's in the 6.5% to 7% uh, walk rate. Uh, And uh, again, with these projections for Lynn, they're suggesting that he's going to take a step back because of the aging curve. And uh, that's the one area that I'm paying attention to is his walk rate. And hopefully he could avoid regressing to previous year's results but the home run rate is also something to pay attention to and that's a good point jim we may not see it in april depending on how the weather is in chicago but come the summertime uh and we don't know what kind of baseball the league's going to be playing with but if it's the super bouncy ball again Mm -hmm. uh and lynn's giving up a home run or two home runs every start that he makes at home then that's going to be a bit concerning uh, especially being in guaranteed rate field and, you know, hoping that Lynn's a guy that can have a sub four ERA for the White Sox in 2021. So when we look from what to pay attention to, very similar to Lucas Giolito, I don't have a lot of concerns when it comes to Lance Lynn. The only question that I have is, can he still be the workhorse the White Sox are hoping for as they traded for him? Can he still provide 200 innings? Can he still be counted on to take the ball every fifth day, 30 plus starts. Again, he is turning 34. Do you have any red flag concerns for Lance Lynn heading to the 2021 season, Jim? Well, I I think um, my biggest concern is that he's underwhelming like the rest of uh, recent White Sox rentals that they've tried or like the, the patches like, you know, Jeff Samarjo was underwhelming. Yvonne Nova is underwhelming. Um, you know, James Shields, uh, less than about it, but the better, but he could have been a rental if he opted out and uh, he was not good enough to. So the White Sox are stuck with him. But yeah, they just have, when, when they try these short-term patches, it doesn't seem like it's ever a smooth transition. So I think that's kind of like a a vague one that's not necessarily tied to him. But I think, you know, to, to go back to my previous uh, comment about the home run rate and such and being fastball reliant is whether he has to try to develop a second trick, like a, a really effective secondary pitch. I know he's been working on a curveball because I guess the spin rate on his curveball is good and useful. It's just a matter of figuring out how to to pair it with his fastballs to make it a go-to pitch. But I'm hoping that, you know, if the White Sox have him for a year, that he doesn't need to develop a trick like that, that how he is is fine and will work. And so I think that's really just my biggest concern is that uh, just his heavy fastball reliance and, and uh, you know, with advancing into his mid thirties, you know, that's not a combination that comes back to bite the white Sox when they only have a year to work with. What does a successful season look like for Lance Lynn in 2021? 
I would say 200 innings or I guess what 200 innings would be in a season like this, you know, where he's like basically top three in innings across the league. I think uh, that's basically uh, what I'm looking for. And if he gets the Cy Young vote here or there, that's good too. Yeah, he's been a top six Cy Young vote getter uh, the last couple of seasons in the American League. I'm with you in the 200 innings. Also, if you want to look at ERA, I think if he has an ERA below 3.75, that'll be good for Lance Lynn. And his strikeout rate of 25-plus percent, again, that's going to do wonders for this White Sox rotation. And it seems to be part of Rick Hahn's game plan when it comes to the White Sox pitching in 2021 is trying to get more strikeouts in both the starting rotation and in the bullpen. So if Lynn can come in and still continue to carry that 25% strikeout rate, uh, that will do a lot, a lot of good for the Chicago White Sox, especially in the run prevention department. So that's Lucas Giolito and Lance Lynn. We still have a few more starting pitchers to preview and to discuss with Dallas Keuchel coming up next after a quick word from our sponsors. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. When you rely on the Internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Next for our starting pitching preview, it is Dallas Keuchel. And Keuchel had a very successful 2020 season for the Chicago White Sox. I think it was a very surprising outcome. And uh, after that big free agent signing, as far as the contract, it was a thumbs up that both Grandal and Keuchel had a positive impact for the White Sox based on how much money that they committed to both. And for Keuchel's 2021 Zips projection, no, it is not projected another sub-2 ERA season from Keuchel, uh, but it's an ERA hovering around 4 at 3.99, a 2.6 war with 126 strikeouts, which is a 7.4 strikeout per 9, and 2.76 walk per 9 rates. And for a number 3 starting pitcher, uh, that's pretty good, as again, a lot of American League teams don't have a quality number three starter like the White Sox do. But we can jump ahead to what is the biggest concern for Dallas Keuchel in 2021. And Jim, I, I bet you and I have the same concern for Keuchel, uh, which brings the depth topic uh, regarding the starting pitching. But I think when it comes to Dallas Keuchel, it's very much on how his season ended in 2020. It was going great, and then his back started barking up. And for me, that is a big concern when it comes to the White Sox starting rotation. How long can Dallas Keuchel's back hold up on him? And can he avoid going on the injured list for a long period of time uh, with any type of back issue? Yeah, that was on my list. Um, just because he's you know he had the back issue last year and then he had a pinched nerve in his neck a couple of years before that. So, you know, he's... Not quite a history, not like quite a chronic problem, but back problems can be, especially as pitchers or anybody else gets older, even non-baseball players can say the same thing. So yeah, that's a concern. I think for if, if I were to add something different to the conversation, it would be fastball velocity. 
because he's gone from 89 to 88 to now 87 uh, the past three years, and the cutter velocity has dropped as well. And last year, it seemed like he uh, he was able to compensate a little bit by basically using his sinker, cutter, and changeup an equal amount of time. Like, uh, he used to be basically like sinker, cutter. Now he's like sinker, uh, cutter, changeup. The changeup usage is basically elevated to almost where... Um, you know, his, his other main two pitches are. So to see that happen, just seems like, I hope he's not having to go to junk balling crafty lefty early. You know, he's not having to abandon the sinker, the power sinker ground ball type guy early. And we're looking at a stat cast data, you know, he had the 1.99 ERA last year, but his expected ERA based on just his pitch and, you know, the, the results data was four. And some guys have a history of beating that. And, it wouldn't surprise me if a guy like Keuchel, who you know throws a below average velocity and gets weak contact, that he's somebody who can routinely beat that, but it is something to keep in mind. Yeah, and it goes into what is one thing to pay attention to early. And to kind of piggyback on what you just read off of Baseball Savant and what you picked up, Jim, looking at his advanced metrics from last year, for me, it's his BABUP. Last year, Keuchel had a 255 BABUP against, which is very low. His career total is 292, so he's been around 300 BABUP. Keuchel did have a 256 batting average balls in play against in 2017 with Houston, but as you just mentioned, with the diminishing velocity with his fastball and that he may have to go more with the other junk pitches, uh, with especially as far as leaning more on the changeup, and he just doesn't have that strikeout stuff anymore like he did when he won the Cy Young. It's it's like Keiko really needs the baseball gods to be on his side, Jim, to make sure that the contact that he is going to be allowing and the contact rate is going to be high, that it's hit at his teammates, right? That there is still some batted ball luck on Keiko's side that this Babub doesn't hit above 300 because if it does, Keiko's going to look a lot different than he did in 2020. Yeah, it seems like you can look at his advanced stats and decide like which one to look at and how optimistic you want to be based on the number. Because you mentioned the uh, uh, the Babbitt being low, and the number that jumped out to me was his home run rate, four point seven percent. It was twenty three percent in Atlanta. Goes drops down to four point seven percent with the White Sox last year. Point uh, three homers allowed per nine. And you look at that and you say like, well, that's unsustainable. But then you look at his exit velocity and. Uh, the exit velocity was for him was great, 77th percentile last year, and, and the contact wasn't good. So you would expect that if the contact's not great and he's staying off the barrel and just getting uh, pop-ups and ground balls, then, you know, that's you would expect a lot of homers. So perhaps uh, that is sustainable. So that's why I kind of go back to the idea of divisions and wondering, you know, was the AL Central and NL Central just given how poorly they performed in the postseason and how, you know, the underwhelming, um, you know, some of the post or off seasons were for these teams and, and how, you know, especially like on the national league side, how poorly or underwhelming their projections are for the standings in 2021. Just wondering like, did maybe Keiko benefit from weaker competition to where he did get this weak contact and keep the ball in the park the way he did. That's uh, something I'm keeping in mind, especially, you know, at the start in the West coast and having, uh, you know, avoiding some of the divisional rivals until May. You know, I, I think that'll be uh, something where Keuchel might be tested by new opponents and we'll see how he does. 
Yeah, his first start of the year, it's against a familiar foe. Obviously, he spent a lot of years in Houston, and he's very familiar with the Angels and the Mariners. But, yeah, he's going to have to face Mike Trout in his first start. He's going to have to face Anthony Rendon. Can he continue to still nibble on the corners? And the more that we have this conversation, or I guess the longer this conversation goes, it just makes me wonder, Jim, if man, what, 10 years ago, if we had Baseball Savant and we had this database and we had all this tracking data at our fingertips, are we talking about Mark Burley in the same light that we're talking about Dallas Keuchel right now? Can the fastball velocity uh, continue to still be at 88-89? Can he still hit the corners? Can he still induce weak contact? And uh, are we undervaluing somebody who defends the position well and holds the running game in check? Exactly. Exactly. I, I feel like it's it's very similar conversation we would be having a decade, uh, a decade ago regarding Mark Burley. If we had all of the data that we now currently have at our fingertips, but instead we're having this conversation about Dallas Keuchel and you look at all the numbers and Every, somebody could say, yeah, I think Keiko's going to regress and he's not going to look as good as he did last year. But we have seen this type of pitcher succeed before with the Chicago White Sox, succeed at guarantee rate field. And again, it, it's just really going to be about his command with those three pitches, his fastball, his changeup, and his sinker. And if he can get to continue to still throw well with Yasmani Grandal, and Grandal is still doing a good job stealing strikes on that outside corner against right-handed hitters, then Keuchel, I think, is still going to be successful for the White Sox in 2021. If he's living in the middle of the plate, there's going to be problems. And that leads us to what does a successful season look like for Dallas Keuchel? And Jim, what would you... What would you say would be a successful season for Keuchel after our conversation here and seeing what he did last year in a shortened season? This would be the first time that we get to see a full season of work from Dallas Keuchel and what the White Sox were hoping for when they did sign him to that free agent deal prior to the 2020 season. Uh, What do you think year two will look like for Keuchel? I would say a sub four ERA and 30 starts or the equivalent of 30 starts. Like I said before, if, you know, managers are trying to spread out the rotation a little bit, have guys skip starts to keep them healthy from 60 games to 162, then maybe that's 28. Maybe nobody starts more than 31 games this year and you have to lower the number down a little bit across the board. But 30 starts or the equivalent thereof, I think, is important for the White Sox. Yeah, I had 28 starts and I have 165 innings. Again, the concern is the back. If the back barks up and he's got back spasms and he's going to miss a couple weeks here and there, or if he misses an entire month, I don't think he's going to hit those numbers. So I think what would be successful is that Keuchel limits the amount of time that he spends on the injured list and the, the White Sox get at least 75 to 80 starts out of Gilito, Lynn, and Keiko. If you can get half of the starts that you will be playing in the 2021 season, if Gilito, Lynn, and Keiko are healthy and effective to start half of your games in a season, the White Sox are going to be in really good shape. But that is, again, the biggest concern is Keiko's back. It barked on him last year at a 
Kind of bad time for the White Sox as far as their chances to win the American League Central. Mm -hmm. They really could have used Keiko in that last week of the season, especially that Cleveland series. Uh, But hopefully everything health-wise is good for Keiko, and he can make those 28-plus starts, 30-plus starts, and provide 165 innings because that will go a long way for the Chicago White Sox rotation. Now we go into the uncertainty part of the Chicago White Sox starting rotation. And that is the number four starter that we are projecting. And that's going to be Dylan Cease. Dylan Cease's 2021 Zips projection is a 4.48 ERA, a 1.8 war with a nine strikeouts per nine innings. That's a good number for his projection because that's a pretty significant increase from last year, but a 4.48 walks per nine rate and that's not necessarily good for a starting pitcher and i i'm dubbing dylan cease as the 2021 chicago white Sox wild card i'm not sure what to expect from him after the 2020 season jim and how much that he can progress working with ethan katz i am hopeful uh, we're going to see a dramatic transformation like we saw with lucas giolito in 2019 so i'm holding out hope that we will see that with dylan cease because the stuff is just too good on what he throws and the type of velocity that he's throwing at for him to have those types of struggles that he did last year especially trying to get strikeouts and uh, again, you know, you're looking at the strikeout rate from Zips, that's good, uh, but the walk rate is high, and that's a little bit concerning for me. So when you look at the projections for Dylan C's coming into this season, what are your early thoughts? I would take a 4.4 ERA. Like, that's fine. It's unimpressive, and, you know, given his pedigree or how hard he throws, it's unimpressive, but just given how erratic he's been in the 5.8 ERA in 2019 and the – the, the extremely sketchy four ERA he had last year, like that was a kind of a useless 4.01 ERA. Um, yeah, when you when you have that kind of ERA and are not trusted to start a postseason game, that's what I mean by useless. So I think uh, ERA might not tell the full story. He might be talented enough to avoid getting his teeth kicked in, although that's another case too where you talk about the schedule again. You know, that, that comes up that maybe he was – able to limit the damage against central teams, but against more talented opponents in other divisions, uh, that is just going to eventually catch up to him. So if he can get by with a 4.4 ERA and like a true 4.4 ERA, not one where his zips in for his zips projection is FIP is 4.6. And that's fine. Like I would take that, uh, given the troubles he's seen. Um, yeah. And we, we talked, uh, or I wrote about Yasmani Grandal saying that he can see a Cy Young finalist, in Cease's stuff, and I think, you know, he, he hedged it enough or qualified enough or outlined the improvements he had to make to say, like, that he's not predicting it. But, uh, yeah, you can see just how he can do better, but we've also seen how he can do worse. So that's why I come down to 4.4 or 4.5 ERA being fine. What is one thing to pay attention to early this season for Dylan Cease? Uh, fastball command and specifically yeah. like whether he's pulling the fastball into the left-handed batter's box uh, because when he fails, it's basically the same way every time. Just uh, he's pulling the fastball. It's cutting on him. It's not sailing. Like it's not sailing true over the plate. Like when he's trying to ride it high, yeah, like he's trying to you know split the plate with it above the uh, strike zone. Instead, it kind of just pulls it into the left-handed batter's box, letters, letter higher below. And it's uh it's a weird way for him to throw, and it's just been persistent enough to know that if he's doing it again, then to uh, 
lower your hopes. But if he can, you know, show it in multiple starts that he's able to spot his fastball in other places, I think that'll mainly tell you how he's feeling and whether um, his other uh, command of other pitches can go along with it. That's my biggest concern for Cease is that the fastball command never materializes because if the fastball doesn't improve on the command side, the velocity is great, but you're right, Jim, if he can't throw it in the strike zone and it's constantly going into the left-handers batter's box, I mean, the walk rate, we, we focus a lot of attention on the strikeout rate and the strikeout rate is way too low for the stuff that Cease has, but he had a 13 plus walk rate last year as well. And that's not going to fly. Like, he needs to cut down on that, too. And, again, it all centers around the fastball. If he can get better command with his fastball and he can live in the strike zone because he's throwing 97 and 99 with the with the pitch, the strikeout rate will increase, the walk rate will decrease, and you're going to see improvements in every single area of Dylan Cease's game. But my biggest concern for Cease is that that fastball command never materializes. Do you share that same concern, or is there another concern that you have for Cease? No, that's basically it. And when I wrote about Cease's chances or, you know, like what kind of work remains or is ahead of him to try to get to Cy Young territory, that I looked at his Pakoda projections. And Pakoda does a fun thing where it gives you the uh, outcomes for percentiles. So, you know, if he has his, uh, if he's in the 90th percentile of his possibilities, what does that season look like if he has the worst season imaginable? What does that look like? And the funny thing was his best percentile, like his 99th percentile season, he never even gets to an average walk rate. And uh, you know, that tells you the command problems and con- or control problems he's had. It also tells you that if he can somehow unlock it, like if, if this core velocity belt work that he's done with Ethan Katz and uh, you know, and, and the thing that I think that incur- it's both discouraging and encouraging to me is that he's had a couple of years to work on it, <laughs> like uh, glass half empty. It's like, well, it's never going to he's never going to fix it because it just it's a problem that's ingrained in him and he's gonna, always going to be battling it. He might solve it for a start or two at a time, but he's never going to put it behind him. And I think the glass half full outcome is that like he's he's had a chance to have some trial and error. Uh, address it one way. Uh, if it doesn't work, try, try again. And eventually it'll, he'll unlock something that makes him, uh, that makes an average walk rate possible. So I think that's kind of, I guess, how it comes down to and what kind of outcome you have for a cease. And I think uh, it's still going to be a fits and starts thing to me, but I think if he has progress, I think it's going to be maybe one that isn't um, ironclad. Like it's, it's never going to be sure enough. He's going to have like ugly starts here and there to make you think like he's going to, relapse and, and turn into the 2019-2020 Dylan Cease. But I think that's just going to be part of his profile is inconsistency, but ultimately adequacy. That's why, again, I go back to he's the wild card. Because for me, a successful season for Cease is a 25% plus strikeout rate, a 10% or lower walk rate. If he can do those two, again, I think you're going to see Big improvements in his performance. I mean, a 25% plus strikeout rate is right on par with Lance Lynn. It's not there with Lucas Giolito because Giolito's going to be in the low 30%, having one of the better strikeout rates. I'm not asking Cease to be where Lucas Giolito is right now. But if he can increase his strikeout rate by 8%, again, we're going to see big improvements in his performance across the board. 
uh, because Cease should not be going toe-to-toe with Dallas Keuchel in the strikeout rate, Jim. I just, again, back to yes. Keuchel and his diminishing fastball velocity. We're talking about at least a 10-mile-per-hour fastball difference between Dylan Cease and Dallas Keuchel. And, again, it's reasonable for to expect Keuchel to have like a 16 or 17% strikeout rate, but not Dylan Cease. And for me, if he can mm-hmm. hit 25-plus percent with his strikeout rate, I think that will lead to a successful season for Dylan Cease. Yeah, I think uh, when I think about it, um, you know, when when you hear about his fastball not cutting, like the the early results he likes, and the idea that if his fastball command improves, the effectiveness of the breaking balls will follow. Like, I can see him having a number of 10 strikeout starts. Um, That's what I come down to. Like, I can see some starts to where, like, holy crap, he's a monster, like, Mm-hmm. Dylan Cease, we thought the White Sox might have gotten in the Eloy Jimenez, uh, Jose Quintana trade is here. And then I think he's going to have a couple starts where he walks more guys than he strikes out and you you you, you watch between your fingers. That's why I think, like, uh, I'm not quite there yet on seeing Cy Young finalists just because that would just be a whole lot of progress in one year. But I think his progress will take the form of some dominant starts. If he can do those dominant starts against the Royals and Tigers, I'll take him. Because the White Sox have to pile up wins against those two teams. And I think both teams would be better coming into this season. I don't think the White Sox are going to have a 90% winning percentage against the Detroit Tigers against the Royals. Maybe they'll prove me wrong and it'll be terrific in their chances of winning the American League Central. Um, But I'd also like to see if he could stand on his own. Uh, against the Minnesota Twins and the Cleveland Indians in those starts. Because I just hearken back to his first start of the 2020 season at Cleveland after he looked so good in his last start in the spring training 2.0. It was a bit disappointing. It just seemed to kind of derail his entire season, just having that one poor performance. And he had a tough time getting back on track. Uh, so hopefully, again, the, Dylan Cease is the wild card for the Chicago White Sox. If he can make a big jump in his player development, then the White Sox have four starting pitchers they could count on, while everybody else in the American League is trying to find at least two, if not three, starting pitchers they can count on. And that would give a pretty significant edge to the White Sox and their chances of winning the American League Central in 2021. Now, the fifth starting spot. We assume it will be Carlos Rodon as the number five starter to begin 2021, but let's make this a more broad discussion because I think that we're going to see many faces make starts in this spot for the Chicago White Sox, at least in the first half of the 2021 season, Jim. What do you think that Tony La Russa and Ethan Katz's overall strategy is going to be for this spot, again, at least for the first half of the season, because they could always change their mind and they could go to Rick Hahn in late June, early July, and say, we need another starting pitcher to get through the second half of the season. But at least for the first half, how do you think La Russa and Katz will utilize this spot in the rotation? Well, I think Carlos Rodon has the inside track just because he, you know, he's been there and also, you know, based on the limited results we've seen from him out of the bullpen I don't think the White Sox really want to do that. I don't think there's really a use in a guy like Rodon coming out of the bullpen because he's not really a long reliever. You know, somebody who, uh, you know, might come out of the bullpen and struggle to throw strikes like that doesn't really help that much. So I think they're going to try to keep him on that role. And 
ideally, I would like to see a case where they don't need five, six innings out of him. They'd be happy with three or four opener or some kind of piggyback tandem strategy would also be fine. Um, that's my hopes. I think um, if they aren't like that, and I guess that's something we'll have to find out if reporters ask him or, you know, when guys start shaping up, like what their plans might be, and we'll see if they tip their hands at all. But if they do try to stick to a traditional starter strategy early on and then turn to tandem opener alternate starter strategies as more of an emergency measure, then I think it's going to be about riding the hot hand, basically, whose velocity looks the best. Because I think, like, you know, talk about Lopez. Basically, if he can throw 96 to 99 like he did, uh, you know, in his 180-inning seasons, like, that's, he's fine as a fifth starter. Like, that's not a guy you enjoy watching. He's not going to be dominant most of the time, except for maybe against a weaker lineup when he's really commanding his fastball. But he can serve a purpose in a fifth spot. Uh, when he's throwing 90, you know, topping out like 95, 96, that's a guy who is less watchable, less successful, assuming there's no leaps with his breaking ball. And, you know, maybe you can have him out of the bullpen as a long reliever can wear it because he does throw strikes well enough, but not somebody's going to put you in a position to win. So I think that's kind of how it's going to go early on if they don't have any kind of creative uh, alternate plan for the fifth spot. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure if they are going to use an opener. Again, they, you know, Tony LaRusa has confirmed that Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet are going to be part of the 2021 Chicago White Sox bullpen on opening day. And we'll be previewing that bullpen on next week's podcast. We'll have that conversation more about Kopech and Crochet. I'm with you. I think we'll see Carlos Rodon first. I think we're going to see a rotating cast of characters in the number five spot for the Chicago White Sox in their starting rotation. And this could be a point of frustration for White Sox fans, but I'll just keep reiterating a lot of the contenders in the American League are struggling right now to find three guys that they're confident in in their starting rotation. Uh, the fact that the White Sox have those three they can count on, and they're hoping that Dylan Cease can improve to be their to be that number four guy they can count on definitely gives them an advantage over some of the other contenders in the American league. It's going to be a problem for every contender in the American league. This upcoming season is how deep are we and how confident are we with, you know, having five guys start in a week for us. Uh, It's going to be one of the more intriguing things, especially the first half of the season, as we get closer to July and the trade deadline on what kind of pitchers that we see, that are on the move for the contenders to try to bolster their starting rotation. But that's the fifth starting spot. So let's go to some show polls as we preview the Chicago White Sox starting rotation. And as far as our show polls, we sent them out on Twitter, which you could follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. And you could follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. So Jim, are you ready to go to parse through our show polls for this episode? Let's do it. All right, so the first question that I asked our Twitter followers is, who will lead the Chicago White Sox in strikeouts thrown in 2021? Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, or Dylan Cease? Out of those four options, who would get your vote? Giolito. 80.5% agree with you that Lucas Giolito will lead the team in strikeouts. I also agree with that, too. I I think Lance Lynn can give Giolito a run for his money, 
but if Giolito li- lives up to expectations, uh, Giolito is projected to finish second in all of Major League Baseball in strikeouts thrown, according to Zips, uh, behind Garrett Cole of the New York Yankees, which Cole is projected to have 260 strikeouts for the 2021 season. All right, this question I think is pretty interesting, and uh, I think I agree with the results. Who will lead the Chicago White Sox in innings pitched in 2021? Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dallas Keuchel, or other? I'm going to go with Giolito. Okay. Uh, More of the minority. 29% are with you, Jim. I am with the majority. I think Lance Lynn will lead the White Sox in innings pitched. Uh, just continuing as far as his recent trend, 63.4% picked Lance Lynn and 7.6% picked Dallas Keuchel. And I will say this, if Keuchel leads the White Sox and he's pitched, that may not be a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I will say that uh, it's not going to be Lynn's fault, I think. I think it's more that Giolito puts it together. Got it. Okay. So do you think both could pitch 200 plus innings in 2021? I think they can. Uh, I think, you know, like, like I keep saying, it's going to be more a matter of where they finish in the league standings or league rankings versus where they finish in terms of number. I think the, the context will shift and you're going to see innings lower. So the standard for 200 innings might be 190 this year. Got it. Okay. Uh, over under Dallas Keuchel, 29 and a half starts in 2021. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under? I'm going to say the under. Okay, yeah, 63% agree with you. They're also taking the under for Dallas Keuchel. Uh, Again, I had 28 plus starts being a successful season for Keuchel. So if he did hit 28 starts, that would be the under. Uh, I don't see him going 30 plus starts in 2021. It would be great if he did, but again, I am... uh, I am a little concerned as far as his back and how much that holds up for a full marathon season. Yeah, I thought of that question like in in terms of like a Pakoda projection, if you're simulating the season a hundred times or a thousand times, you can see a lot more ways for him to, you know, end with a game started total in the low 20s versus in the low 30s. Another over under 150 and a half strikeouts for Dylan Cease in 2021. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under? I'm going to say the over. All right. 62% agree with you. I hope it's the over. It needs to be the over for Dylan Cease if he's going to be successful for the White Sox in 2021. And uh, if he lives up to those expectations that I have for him, that he is the wild card for the White Sox. And if he could step up big time in his player development, that gives the White Sox a huge advantage, especially in the American League Central over Minnesota and Cleveland. So hopefully that number goes way over 150 and a half strikeouts for Dylan Cease in 2021. And finally, which of these pitchers will make the most starts for the White Sox in 2021? Carlos Rodon, Ronaldo Lopez, Michael Kopech, or Jonathan Stever? I'm going to say Carlos Rodon, but I will explain it after the results. Okay, so Carlos Rodon was the popular answer, most popular answer, but only at 36.1%. Second was Ronaldo Lopez at 33%. And Michael Kopech got 29%, and Jonathan Stever had below 2%. So what's your reasoning on Carlos Rodon having the most starts out of that group of four starting pitchers? 
I think it'll come down to Michael Kopech and what the White Sox have planned for him. It seems like he's going to be in the bullpen all season long, like nobody's really talking about grooming him as a starter or grooming him as rotation depth this year. So if they're using him in the bullpen, but they're not going to use him as like a high leverage eighth inning setup guy, then it seems like it maybe makes sense for him to be a second pitcher, um, you know, maybe behind a Carlos Rodon, like have Rodon go three innings and then have Kopech go two to three innings. Uh, and if that's the case, and if they lower the expectations for what Rodon does, and I can see him, you know, making 20 starts, I can see them being like not traditional starts, but they'll be in the game started column nevertheless. Yeah, just the way I'm thinking about it, because if they decide to use Kopech as an opener, I mean, technically he did start that game, so that would count in that stat category. But you're thinking Kopech not so much as an opener. But he's that next. He's the first guy coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, because I think they'll want to have him go like an inning at a time and maybe manage like the kind of inning he comes in for, you know, versus like setting the tone for a game, uh, just based on how long he's been out and trying to get his feet wet or or re wet, reacclimated at the major league level. So I'm not sure if he's ready for opener duty yet, um, just because, you know, it could go wrong and you put your team in a hole and that's not great. They might save him for more of a low leverage work first just to see what he has and how it holds up. I think Rodon just is more cut out for starting games and having the whole pregame routine. And by the time the middle of the season rolls around, maybe Kopech is used to coming out of the bullpen and then just comes in as the second starter warming up mid-game. Okay, I can, I can buy that. So again... Carlos Rodon had the most votes, followed by Ronaldo Lopez, and who will make the most starts out of the group. And those are our show polls for the starting pitching preview. And I will say a related question from Andrew uh, in our PO Sox bag was asking, like, who are the upgrades over Rodon, Lopez, Jonathan Stever, Jimmy Lambert uh, opener? And, you know, I think the opener is the way to go. But I think of the pitchers not mentioned or Stever, maybe, uh, who do you like more between like Stever, Lambert, Bernardo Flores, other I like Steve or the most out of that group. Yeah, it's hard for me. Like, I liked Lambert based on the guys we saw last year, the form we saw last year. I liked Lambert more than Steve, but, uh, you know, we talked about with Keith Law, or I talked about with Keith Law, you know, talking about uh, just which Steve showed up, and he likes the guy who topped out 96. I know James Fox is high in Steve, basically, uh, what, you know, what was seen, what he heard from Schaumburg about how his stuff had rebounded after the forearm strain early on, and then the slow ramp up last year that the Steve we saw in Chicago was not the Steve we're going to see. So it's a hard one to know. I think they would go opener, you know, for a long stretch of the season over either of those two guys, but I think either of them are worth an audition. I think it'll come down to, uh, I guess, where they start the season, whether they're, um, you know, delayed by starts in double A, whether they go straight to triple A and are able to get work there and be ramped up. But I think it's going to be a fascinating thing to see work out is, uh, whether the depth guys can build up innings in time in case there is an injury or two at the major league level. And that's why, you know, we talked about it all the time over the course of the offseason is trying for like a Jose Quintana uninspiring rotation depth guy just to shore up the rotation against a loss of one of the top three. And that's, I think, the danger point right now until we see how these workloads are being ramped up in the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth spots uh, in both Chicago and Charlotte. Well, that concludes as far as our starting pitching preview. Coming up next, you guys had questions for us, so let's answer them in P.O. Socks. 
Spring is calling and Target's ready with deals for your outdoor space. Grab miracle Grow Potting Mix on sale at two for $8. Plus get 20% off planters and more. Find Spring's best outdoor buys at Target where low prices and great deals make it easy to save. Restrictions apply. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox. We submitted the questions to us via Twitter. Tweet them to us at Sox Machine or helping support the site and the show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Machine. And Jim, we have some excellent questions this week. Our first question comes from Mark. And Mark is asking, did the White Sox hire the Sheriff of Nottingham to fill out the lineup cards when he's not looking for Robin Hood? They are amazing. Who is the person responsible and where do they rank in a lineup card calligraphy? That is Jerry Niren. That's uh, the first contributions we've seen from uh, from him. You know, he is brought in as a catching guru, the guy behind uh, uh, James McCann's uh, impressive receiving transformation, and he's expected to do the same, or at least hoping to do the same for Zach Collins and maybe get something out of Jonathan Lurkoy as well. But uh, yeah, that is Jerry Niren's handiwork, and you, you can Google Jerry Niren calligraphy, and you can see a bunch of stories about it. And Basically, the backstory is that when he was uh, coming up in the ranks and he was uh, uh, working under Johnny Oates, uh, former uh, Orioles and Rangers manager, that I guess Oates was very uh, particular and fastidious about his lineup cards. Like the way he filled them out was very precise and uh, exacting. And I think Buck Showalter had a similar reputation for having a very precise lineup cards. And uh, Naren figured that he had to do the same thing when he got the duties to handle them. And so I guess he took his sister's calligraphy pens and just realized like when he was working with them that he had kind of a knack for it. So he worked on it and just became uh, kind of an outlet for him. So uh, that's what he does. And I think the only lineup cards I've seen similar to his in terms of just uh, uh, ornateness and intricacy is Omar Vizquel's. And I think the less said about him, the better. Yeah. Good point. But Mark, thank you so much for your question. Uh, our next question is a, is a combo. We got two questions about this particular topic. Philip is asking, is there any update on in-person fan attendance at Guaranteed Rate Field? I noticed the White Sox are selling ticket packages for games as early as opening day, as well as advertising promotions. And StubHub is also showing available tickets for sale for home games. And as in Rec is asking, the home openers April 8th, what are the chances the White Sox will have some fans attend that game? Well, I haven't seen anything in stone yet, but it seems like they're moving towards it. So right now I'm thinking like there's probably like an 85, 90% chance. What would you say for the number? I think that's a good rate that 85 to 90% chance that there will be fans allowed to attend the April 8th home opener. Uh, The reports in the city of Chicago that, uh, have been going on from the mayor's office, Lori Lightfoot, to the Chicago Police Department is asking the police department to start preparing uh, to support uh, and police as far as the large summer gatherings in the city of Chicago. Again, it makes Chicago one of the best summer cities in the entire world. Every weekend, there's some type of fest going on, street festival, or, you know, you got Lollapalooza, of course, and then you got the Chicago White Sox and Chicago Cubs games. Uh, So it sounds like the city itself is 
preparing uh, to carry out some of those events. And, you know, the gossip right now is 30% capacity for Wrigley Field and Guaranteed Rate Field uh, when the season starts. So 30% at Guaranteed Rate Field puts you at, what, 10,000 fans allowed uh, for opening day. So uh, as in Wreck and Phillip, I would say, I agree with Jim, there's an 85 to 90% chance that there will be fans allowed to attend the home opener for the Chicago White Sox. And I would say the amount of fans allowed to attend will be below 10,000. Yeah, I think if spring training goes off without a hitch, I think you know, perhaps if there is some sign that spring training causes problems or if they can you know, do any kind of proof that uh, you know, there is an outbreak or whatever, it, it poses you know, p- perhaps uh, concerns for players you know, with, with fans there. Um, you know, maybe that'll cause a scare and, and force teams to reconsider. But I think it'll take an awful lot just based on baseball being an outdoor sport, uh, uh, faring pretty well last year during the season. Um, and, and if spring training continues that in terms of teams uh, not really being bogged down with it and fans really showing no effects and the spacing works out, then I would see no reason to go into the season without trying it. So yeah, it would seem like that. And I, I looked into uh, StubHub just because I was curious about that and saw a story about the Dodgers, just how astronomical some of the prices are for tickets for the Dodgers, given that they're having a, uh, you know, that'd be like a world series celebration ceremony going on and fans wanting to be in tennis for it. And ticket prices right now in the thousands. And right now they're saying StubHub, you know, it's easy for them to cancel refund sales um, of those tickets if they, those tickets aren't available. So I think right now the presence of tickets on StubHub don't really mean a lot. The, the other thing to pay attention to for the, uh, teams that have already announced they will be having fans in attendance at opening day is that I am hearing staggered entry times and that's going to impact your pre-gaming. So if you're listening to this and you're already planning that if the White Sox are allowed to have fans back at guaranteed rate field, you're going to be one of those people that are going to be attending the first game that you possibly can. You may have a designated time that you can enter the ballpark. And if you miss your window, you miss your window. Uh, That's going to be something to pay attention to because I'm not sure if they're going to allow tailgating. Uh, I know a lot of people go to like Buffalo Wings and Rings on Halstead there or other bars around uh, the stadium. Again, we still have, you know, social distancing going on uh, as far as uh, drinking within the bars. Uh, in Chicago, uh, and if, if the White Sox, if, I guess I should say, if the mayor's office say you can have fans, but you need to follow the staggered entry time, uh, that's going to be something to pay attention to. But we'll see what the final verdict is, but hopefully we get some type of verdict soon because, again, we're just five weeks away before the White Sox are going to be playing their home opener. <laughs> the way uh, some people pregame, every uh, starting time is a staggered starting time. <laughs> Very true. Very true. They're they're just happy if they can make it by first pitch. But if you get a ticket and your stagger time is uh, 90 minutes before first pitch that you got to enter the ballpark, you're going to have to make some changes into your pregame routine because uh, it's your turn to enter the ballpark in a safely manner. So be interesting to see on how the White Sox handle that. But I believe the Colorado Rockies are going to be one of the teams using the staggered entry. 
But Philip and Azenrek, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Alex Schmidt. And Alex is asking, what are the best ethics around analyzing Yohan Mikata and other players' COVID recovery progress? Well, I think, uh, you know, not that I'm an ethicist, but just based on the way the dialogue last year, I think, you know, I'm, I'm you know, maybe, you know, some corners of White Sox Twitter were more cutthroat or unforgiving or cruel than others. You know, you, you can probably find any kind of comment for whatever <laughs> argument you want to support. But I think by and large, it seemed pretty respectful of his condition and, and of the challenges he faced, especially when you could see the the physical struggle. So I would say like, basically maintaining the status quo would be good enough. Like understanding, trying to assess it both, I think for selfish reasons, like it's obviously great for White Sox fans if he's performing at his best, but you also care about like the person and other teammates, you know, making sure that they're all healthy and safe. So I think it benefits everybody like utilitarian saying that, uh, you know, if he's healthy, then everybody's good. So everybody's invested in him being healthy and effective. So I think, you know, it's just more of a matter of if he can go wrong, it's holding it against him. Or, you know, like in the case of future COVID cases, like, um, you know, Jose Abreu seemed like that's more or less resolved right now that he tested positive in January. And uh, the way he's shedding the virus caused positive tests into this month. But, you know, if there is a positive test that comes up or if a guy is held out and for, you know, unspecified reasons, I think it's, you know, natural to wonder to yourself, but probably... Uh, I would say unethical or not great to um, speculate aloud or uh, harass beat writers to say, is it COVID? Probably COVID. Or tell their fans, probably COVID. Like, yeah, I would say keep that to yourself. Like, everybody's probably thinking the same thing. Uh, doesn't do a whole lot of good to perpetuate it if the information is going to come out when it comes out. So that's, I think, probably the ethical, responsible way is just, you know, if there is a player held out for unspecified reasons to think the thoughts, but not Sam, because it doesn't really do any good. And if it's a case like Nomar Mazar last year, where he was held out and it wasn't specified, turned out to be strep throat like that. What good did that do? <laughs> so all it did was, uh, you know, make people think that Mazara missed COVID because uh, I saw that come up later and I missed the initial strep report myself. So I thought that too, but just, you know, if you pass along bad information or bad speculation, and then it turns out it wasn't that, and you, you call Mazzara a COVID case months down the line, like, that doesn't help. So I would say just if a player or the team um, says it's COVID, then you just say, like, hope he gets better, hope it doesn't uh, cause complications for him and everybody else, and cross your fingers and be forgiving if it does. And if you don't know, then uh, don't say anything. Well, Alex, thank you so much for your question. And that will do it for this week's P.O. Sox questions. Great questions this week. Thank you guys so much for submitting questions. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to address in a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We are at Sox Machine. You could also help support Sox Machine by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Sox Machine. And uh, we do have some marketing updates. One Uh, We tweeted it out, and there's been some great reactions so far. Uh, Very exciting that we're going to have a new swag swag item. Uh, For those that have survived the rebuild with Sox Machine, we're going to have a pennant uh, with some of our... Uh, some of the many, many names that we have survived watching them play baseball for the Chicago White Sox uh, during the rebuild. 
And uh, the pennants look great. We're going to be picking them up this week. And uh, Jim, do you want to dish out as far as the details on how people can get a pennant? Yes, the pennants will be available in our swag pack. So for uh, $10 support people, the $10 supporters will be sending those out automatically. For existing $5 supporters, we'll have a deal for you. uh, And then they'll be included for new uh, $5 members. So uh, you can sign up for a Patreon supporter, uh, Patreon page. Uh, We're up to 498 supporters. And uh, I mentioned that number now and it could drop just because the end of the month, there's always like credit cards that expire or people who drop out. So the number could dip. So uh, if you see that number, it could be uh, a few lower than that, but hopefully, you know, who knows, might be higher than that, but we'll see if anybody wants to be the 500th. But right now that's the plan. And if that's uh, complicated, then I will spell it out for you once we get the penance in hand. And I will also be picking up the hoodies uh, this week as well. So we'll have... New merch offerings uh, available for members at various tiers and also available for sale. And we'll have details about that when we have them in hand. And we are having a sale on the Sox Machine t-shirts. So they're now just $20, which includes shipping. Please buy a t-shirt if you have not, because I don't want to move them with me because uh, <laughs> we are moving next month. Uh, Kim and I are getting a new house in Bridgeport, a short walk to the stadium. We are very excited, excited about the transition, um, but I don't want to move all these shirts. So please buy a Socks Machine shirt at SocksMachine.com. They are just $20 and it includes shipping. And I will get that to you uh, as, you know, as quickly as USPS will deliver. And, uh, yeah, you would be doing me a huge favor by buying a shirt. So please do so at SocksMachine.com. And that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine Podcast. Again, thank you to everyone for listening to this starting pitching preview. Next week's episode, we will be previewing the Chicago White Sox bullpen, which could be the strength of the team in 2021. So I'm excited about that upcoming episode. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. You could also give us a rating and review at Apple Podcasts if you listen on your iPhone or any other iDevices like your iPad as well. And the Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Macy's Star Money bonus days are happening now. It's a special time when Star Rewards members earn bonus points and get to their next reward faster. You'll get $10 in Star Money for every $50 spent with a Macy's card or $10 for every $100 spent as a bronze member. Shop Spring Styles and get rewarded with Star Money. Now through April 18th, Macy's Star Rewards. It's how we love you back. Visit Macy's.com slash star money for exclusions and details. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.